Now, could we turn to the book of Jude, which we did read last week in one of our services, um, but I'm only going to read uh, the text that I'm preaching from, or verses just around it. So we're talking about page 1217 in the Black Church Bibles, page 1217 in the Black Church Bibles. So I'm reading from verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now, let's pray before we look into the word of God. Father, we have just sung the wonders of the cross of Christ. And Lord, we we say how, how wonderful that shadow that is cast down the centuries, down the millennia, the wonderful mercy in the cross, and that we indeed... In its, in its shadow, in the refuge of who Jesus is, we find new life, we find forgiveness, we find power, we find protection, we find, Lord, your love. And for this, we praise you, Lord, indeed, we are all unworthiness, but Lord, we thank you that we may reach out in our hearts and receive the wonders of your personal love for us. We thank you for this, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you may now open your word to us, uh, speaking, Lord, to our hearts, some uh, well-known truths, but, Lord, we pray that you may speak them in, in fresh ways. And, Lord, if there are things that we've never thought of before, we pray, Lord, that you will instruct us in those. But, Lord, we, we do ask you, Lord, to show us the beauties of your word, show us the warnings of your word, and may we all, Lord, uh, be closer to Christ uh, Lord, uh, tonight, in Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. Now, uh, I, look, I want to look at uh, Jude 1, verse 23. I'll read it again. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. And if you've looked uh, at the online title I've given... Snatched from fires of hell by the emergency services. Now, I want to look firstly at the background uh, for uh, this expression. Firstly, snatched out of the fire. Firstly, I want to give an account of uh, a discovery that's been made in the last few years. It was reported in September 2021. I can remember reading it at the time and taking notes on it. Um, I don't know if you picked it up at all from any news uh, area, but researchers were, and these weren't religious people specifically, they were researchers trying to find evidence of what they call air bursts of meteors. There was a mighty air burst 
uh, in the early, uh, early part of the 20th century, well, uh, 110 years ago, in, uh, in Russia, that led to the equivalent of a 12-kiloton bomb going off. And it destroyed vast amounts of trees, millions of trees, killed a lot of people um, by an airburst. Now, they were researchers trying to look for a, a, a more ancient airburst that was something like uh, uh, 12,000 BC, but they came across this in the Jordan Valley. Uh, they were excavating, uh, in fact, uh, in a place that, that today is called Tal al-Haman, uh, a city, a civilization that was, um, it lasted for a few thousand years. But now, the city they were looking at was ten times the size of Jerusalem and five times larger than Jericho and existed you know, before, uh, before the foundations of Jerusalem. And as you know, archaeologists go down deep and they go down through layers of civilization. And often, as they're going down, they come across one city that got destroyed. They go deeper and that's further back in time and that had been destroyed and so on. They came to a 1.5 meter in- interval uh, of, uh, of uh, what's 1.5 meters, something like that, of rubble, which of course, that was how high the level was, but of course it went for square miles around the site. And it caught the interest of researchers who then discovered that there was all kinds of material and bits of pottery and bits of uh, uh, other things that had been melted into glass, which was like bubbled mud brick. And there were partially melted building materials, all indications of an airburst. Because the temperatures generated were so high, 2,000 degrees centigrade, that no other, no other um, source of such temperatures was possible uh, in an ancient civilization. And uh, it was the same kind of, um, same kind of temperatures generated in uh, this Tunguska event in Russia that occurred in 1908. Now, uh, they, they, went, uh, they went further into it, and they basically these researchers said, well, look, this airburst happened and they not only found um, this, uh, this uh, massive evidence of fantastic temperatures that seem to have destroyed vast areas and melted all kinds of things, but also frag- fragments of human bones spread everywhere. And uh, they also discovered uh, that, that there was a massive uh, uh, deposit of salt that resulted from this airburst, presumably from the area near the, 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 the Dead Sea itself had, had actually been, uh, had been exploded and burst into the air like a nuclear explosion. And this, is, this salt had fallen down like fallout onto the area. And uh, in fact, for the next hundred years, a massive area, and we're talking like, like the size of a country around this area, was um, uh, completely infertile because of the massive amount of salt that had been deposited. Now... What's this got to do with Jude? Well, we see that Jude actually um, talks about a brand being snatched from the fire. If we go to Amos 4.11, I'd like you to look at this, Amos 4.11 for a second, which gives us uh, an understanding of perhaps where Jude actually got the word from. Um, It says in Amos 4.11... 
That's on page uh, 911, page 911. It says this. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a brand plucked, snatched, out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Now, Jude has in mind when he's talking about people being snatched from the fire... What happened at the time of Sodom and Gomorrah? And those of you who know your, your Bibles will know that the city of Sodom, which was called the city of the plain, which people for generations of scholars have assumed that it would be round about the Dead Sea area, that Lot, the brother of Abraham, that's the cousin of Abraham, was actually, uh, sorry, it's the nephew of Abraham, was actually instructed by angels to flee from uh, Sodom because of the great wickedness of the city. And as you know, it, it actually tells in the text of Genesis that, that uh, Lot was told to run for his life, run for the high, the high hills, uh, presumably to the caves where he would escape uh, this destruction that was going to come upon the city. We know the, the story was that Lot eventually probably running out of puff said oh well can't I just stop in this this place down here it's far enough away isn't it and he was granted to stay in this little little town of Zoar which escaped the heat and the blast maybe it was in the the shadow of a mountain that prevented that prevented this blast actually actually uh, hurting them but the point is this Lot escaped Destruction by fire. And uh, Jude is telling us that we are to snatch those people, snatch people that are in danger of destruction by a fire disaster. And I say we, because Jude is addressing the whole church uh, that he's writing this to, and of course by implication the whole church in the whole world. He was, he was an apostle speaking. And he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. The church of God and individual Christians within it are God's angels to, to warn people and to drag them, to snatch them and to, and to take them out of the reach of a, a terrible disaster that's coming upon them. Now, we need to go a bit further into this, don't we? I mean, I, I, I've mentioned uh, in, a, in a general way a, a thing, an event that happened that people used to say was a fairy tale, the destruction of, the destruction of Sodom. Now uh, people are saying, well, maybe there's something in it. <laughs> you know? I've mentioned that. I've mentioned the fact that the Bible say, is saying there is a, a, a fire that is going to destroy it. Well, but what does this what does this, what does this mean? Well, if you read uh, we read through the whole of Job last week, and I thought I wouldn't do it uh, tonight again. But if you read through Job for yourself again, you will see that uh, Jude is is warning about false teaching and false teachers and false ideologies, and he talks about uh, people 
Uh, Jude 1 verse 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now these false teachers pretended to believe in Jesus, pretended to want to become part of the church, but actually they had their own agenda. They wanted to teach and preach a religion of pleasure. They wanted to say, well, yes, you can believe in Christ, but you can actually do what you like. Now, we know that in the early church, uh, indeed, there were a large number of teachers, uh, Gnostics and others, that, and, uh, and Manichaeans, as they were called, who taught precisely that. They said, look, once you believe in Jesus and you're saved, you can get drunk, you can have sex with prostitutes, you can commit adultery, you can, you can steal, you can do all kinds of things in your body... Your body doesn't matter. All that matters is your heart, and, and you've been forgiven and, uh, by Jesus, and that doesn't matter. Now, you might say, well, well, today that would be totally unacceptable. Well, yeah, because today we've got a different set of false teaching and ideologies. But in those days, this was a very, very tempting version of Christianity. And many people who uh, claimed to follow Christ actually were drawn away to it. Because after all, it's a much easier prospect, isn't it? To be able to, yeah, to enjoy yourself, get drunk, have sex, do this, do that and the other, and be saved and go to heaven. <laughs> I mean, today there are, there are people who actually believe that. They turn up at the Oscars and they, they've just been uh, sniffing coke, cocaine backstage and they come out and they say, yes, I, I want to thank God, I want to thank Jesus for what he's done for me. And everybody knows the lifestyle they're living. And yet they seem to think they can combine the two. So it's very tempting to have a religion that is made for your lusts, to fulfill your pleasures and not for the glory of God. And so Jude warns about these people. He says, um, you must, and this is in verse 17, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And that is the context of which uh, Jude is talking about snatching people from the fire. Because the truth of the matter is, these ideologies of self, of pleasure, of uh, putting yourself first and not following uh, uh, the rule of God and living a holy life is an ideology, is a religion that leads to destruction. Now let me just pick up my glasses, which I've just, uh, just thrown away. Um, basically this. Now we need to understand that we live in a 21st century where there's a, there's a different set of ideologies. There's a different set, set of, of, of false religions that, that are hanging about. Uh, and in fact, in, in our case, of course, we have... We've had communism, uh, uh, popular atheism. We've now got gender paganism, where people are, are taking their own desires about what they would like to be happening and how they would interpret gender, uh, but in total independence of the word of God. We have modern materialism. We have modern hedonism, where people think, oh, I can live the life of pleasure, but as long as I do a bit of meditation and so on, I'm, I'll be okay with God. But they all amount to the same thing. They have a false teaching about the nature of God. They have a false teaching about true human fulfillment. 
They have a totally false teaching about, uh, about how people should live. Rather than seeking to be righteous before God, they're just, they're just seeking uh, to, go in, to go their own way. Now, whatever is the delusion of modern men and women, whether they are sophisticated or simple, whether they're ideological or simply a person rebelling against God and just saying, I'm going to do what I want, we are breaking the rules of the spiritual universe and the consequences are that people's lives are dangling by a thread over the fires of eternity. Now, when I say the fires of eternity, uh, we're not talking here about a physical fire. I mean, physical fires, I've mentioned one, 2,000 degree physical fire, uh, is part of the material universe. When the Bible talks about the fires of hell, it is not talking about things that can be measured in, de- in degree centigrade. It's talking about the wrath of God, the anger of God, the spiritual punishment of God upon a soul that sins. And uh, the thing is that, well, we haven't got time to go into what, what the, those fires consist in, but the Bible claims this is a clear reality which in this world we don't experience as such. Uh, in this world, we can go through this world rebelling against God, defying him, but not feeling within our, within our souls any great agony or pain, apart from, of course, when the Holy Spirit brings to us a, a conviction of sin and a sense of condemnation and then I think we do start to actually at least get some of the idea of what hell may be like in a very, very small degree. But the Bible tells us that the punishment of eternal destruction is an absolute agony for the soul that has made a decision which is irrevocable. In this life we have the chance to change. Once we've passed from this life, there's no change. And so, these, these, these things are, are so of a, such immense importance. How important it is that there could be someone who could save us? Well, the first great and wonderful thing, isn't it? We have a saviour who came into this world to save us from hell. And he did everything that is needed to save me and to save you from your sins, your failures, your, all of the darkness that would drag you into, those, into the fires of hell. He's done everything that's needed. Why? Because he loves us with such a wonderful and marvelous patient love. And all we have to do is trust him. I mean, you know, this, this is a wonderful gospel. This is, this is a thing that when we, when we are aware of what Jesus did when he died on the cross, we've been thinking about this all day, indeed, we might, you know, sometimes choke up with tears at how wonderful God is to us, that we, shame, with our shame and our failures and our past, and is all gone because Christ has died for us. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth, but equally well. As wonderful it is for those of us who already believe, how terrible it is to think that people that don't believe are going to a lost eternity. And that's really why Jude says this. He says, have mercy. Now, I'm not going to look at verse 22 in detail, uh, because I'm looking at verse 23. But notice he does say, have mercy on those who doubt. 
Have mercy on those who doubt. Now, this may be just a general thing, not just about people who've been involved in false teaching. I think the principles apply, whether or not it's, it's people that have been involved in uh, being dragged into false teaching or not. But to all people who doubt, have mercy on them. Well, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Well, how do we have mercy on those who doubt? Well, one thing is, is we do, we pray for them. For those who have problems, we don't just condemn, oh, you're doubting, that's sinful. No, we, we talk to them. We convince them. We give them evidence. We give all the evidence there is of the Bible, of all the intellectual evidence we can give, all the evidence of experience, everything under the Lord's hand can be used to help those who doubt to trust in Christ and make that step to believe in him. But notice, it's mercy. Have mercy. Now here is the real, the real thing that uh, is, what can I put it, is the motive force that drives an evangelistic church. It, it's got to be mercy. It's got to be we have hearts that go out and indeed inwardly sometimes weep for those who are dying without Christ. Without that mercy, that compassion, that, that, that desire to help those who are in trouble, well, a church's message often it sounds a bit empty. We're to have merciful hearts, not judging, cold, condemning, critical hearts, but merciful hearts to those who are in a mess that we were once in. But more than that, I want to say this, that actually the church is a place of mercy. It is meant to be the emergency services for the whole world. Now, uh, you know, what was my title? My title was, you know, the snatch people, snatching from the fire by uh, the emergency services. Well, that's what churches are meant to be. I mean, lots of other things churches are meant to be. But one thing is, we're meant to be emergency services. We're not meant to be rescuing people, snatching people from the fire, rescuing the dying and the drowning. We have a communication center where we hear our instructions from the Bible day by day. But that, that, that clear instruction from Jesus that we remember, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have the communication center also where we pray to the Lord. And we pray for harvesters. We pray for souls that are dying. We pray for power. We pray for our fellow Christians. We pray for our neighbors and friends and relatives that we'll have a chance to see on any particular day. We, of course, are also an ambulance service in the church because we have to pastor new Christians. Those who become Christians, they need to be fed and grow. And we ourselves, in order to be able to do God's work, we need pastoring. We need helping. We provide emergency accommodation for everyone. And I mean by that not physical accommodation. Sometimes, of course, we may indeed be doing that. But I mean a church should be a home for the homeless. For those who've lost their families, who no longer want to, uh, them because they've become Christians, the church should be a home, a family. For those, who are, uh, for those who've, who've lost everyone, maybe everybody that in their family has died and they're alone, the church should be a place where they, they, they actually have another family. But above all, church is a spiritual fire station we are meant to be going and snatching people out of the fire just like firemen do and uh, 
the upshot of what Jude is, is saying is that Christians are meant to be on watch. When we see people are in danger of losing their souls to hellfire, we endeavor to save them. That doesn't mean that we'll go out immediately to, to preach to them, but it certainly will mean we pray for them. It certainly means that we really will seek to do all that we can to actually save them. That's what Paul said. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, a um, very well-known passage, Paul talks about saving people as though it, it was in his power to save people. That's a paradox, because the Bible is quite clear. The only person that truly saves people is God himself. And without the Holy Spirit's work, no one's going to be converted. So any human being, whether it be Paul or me or you, we can't save people in that sense. But, but Paul clearly was talking about the fact that we do everything that God has told us to do. We use the means that God has given us to save people. Paul was quite clear about this. It is, you know, it is God who is at work within us to will and to do his good pleasure. God's will is that people should be saved. And it is God's will that we should use the means that God has given us to, to save people. And so he says... Um, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. It's one means of try, trying to save people. Get down to people's level. Get off your high horse. Stop trying to be, pretend to be an intellectual or, or rich or influential or popular or you know, whatever. Stop being an influencer and, uh, you know, where, where uh, people may admire you and start actually being prepared to be a fool for Christ. I'll do everything. I made, I made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, the Jews as under the law, though not my, myself being under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, in other words, non-Jews, Gentile pagans, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live as without the law so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I might save some. So that I might save some. Now, I've talked about the motivation is compassion. Now, the means that Paul talks about here is, is self-sacrifice. Is being prepared to give of yourself, to give up all of the, 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 the the things that are, we associate with pride and being a self-made person and all of the things that uh, society perhaps sometimes values, but we actually sacrifice ourselves to seek people's salvation. Now, Paul says, I use all means to save some. Uh, we are told to snatch them out of the fire, but... We have to, of course, understand as Christians that there is a balance in our activities. Uh, an old pastor, when I was a, a young man, said this, and I've always remembered it. We have unconditional love to everybody, but a limited responsibility, limited liabilities. See, we're, we're not superhuman. With unlimited energy and unlimited capacities and unlimited wisdom. Um, and indeed, Scripture counsels us, both in Proverbs and, in, and uh, Paul counsels us, to be, to be 
so, think soberly about our gifts and our abilities. We're not, we're, not, uh, we're not to think that we can drive ourselves 24 hours a day. We'll collapse. To be able to function, we need sleep, rest, diet, recreation. We need to, to keep uh, our minds healthy and functioning. We need exercise, all of these things. Otherwise, we actually will we'll have a breakdown of some sort. Uh, George Whitfield, that, 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 the great evangelist in America, he died from an asthma attack. And he died simply because he'd already preached to thousands of people during the day. And he was abs- he'd been ill for a few days, properly with asthma. And uh, then he was woken up in the middle of the night, or at least he, what, they didn't let him get to sleep. But at 12 o'clock he gave a sermon in the middle of the night. And later on he died from asthma. Um, well, that was the Lord's will in George Whitfield's life. that it, it went that way, but... Uh, I think the Bible does make it clear that we need to look after ourselves, use the means that God has given to us to be able to extend the possibility of us snatching more and more people from the fire. Now, you don't, you don't snatch more and more people from the fire by burning yourself out. You snatch more people from the fire by living according to the principles of God's word, living a holy life and maintaining it throughout your life. We don't have an unlimited liability uh, to burn and burn and burn ourselves out immediately. Uh, in the parable uh, of the watchman in Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel is told by God that th- this you, you have to give a warning to the wicked. You must warn them. Yes, and if you don't warn them, their blood is on your hands. If you don't try to snatch the people from the fires of hell, then indeed you're responsible if you had the chance to at least give them a chance. But actually, you don't have a responsibility to keep on and on and on and on at them. You warn them. That's your, that's your liability is to warn them. Not an unlimited liability to go on and on and on. Jesus said the same thing uh, in, when he gave instructions to the, to the 12 and to the 70. He said, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Which is a, a kind of a, an Aramaic uh, Jewish idiom for, for saying that basically um, if the peace of the gospel is extended and they receive it, wonderful. If they don't, you move on. And indeed he said that uh, whatever city you enter and they don't receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. We don't have a a responsibility to, to stay on in places that reject us. There's a balance in our life. Um, some people object to evangelistic churches. They say, oh, well, if, if everybody's involved in evangelism, you'll never get pastoral work done properly. Well, I think that is a really uh, not, not true at all. Any church has a duty of care to the sheep. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, you know, pastor the sheep under your care. These are the people for whom Christ died. His blood, his precious blood was, was given for the sheep, the, the pastors that look after them. But all we have to do is look at the way people run their normal household economy, either a single person or a married couple. 
Ask them how they run their household. They need to pay the bills. But it doesn't mean because one day I've paid the bills, I don't need to do the housework. There are all kinds of jobs need doing. Do it yourself. Do the dishes. Do the cleaning. Do the washing. Do the bills. Um, uh, do this. Do that and the other. The person who runs a household does all of these jobs. In balance. Doesn't, doesn't wear themselves out. They just well, get very tired. Uh, I know some of you do here. Um, but you're able to maintain it. And this is just the same with evangelism in an evangelistic church. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. That applies both to marriage, but also tasks in the church. We're told in scripture, time after time, of the importance of, uh, of testifying to the world. Holding out the word of life uh, to, this, to this dark and dismal world. And uh, actually, we can, we can do... All of our necessary obligations of looking after one another, caring for one another, loving one another as a, as a congregation together. We can worship the Lord, but we can also snatch people from the fire. Because, of course, as I've mentioned already, in a, in a fire station, there's different responsibilities. There's the, guy that, there's the guys that kind of uh, run down the pole, uh, as they used to do and still do in some countries, um, to get to the, uh, to the action itself. But there's, there's all kinds of other people that uh, the person taking the 999 call who uh, gets them into operation, the people uh, preparing everything for, for service in the place. And the Bible says this, we have all, we're all part of the emergency services. There are some that will pray, Paul says in, to the people in Philippi, um, that they were, had fellowship with him. In the defense and confirmation of the gospel. How did they have fellowship with him when they were living hundreds of miles away from him? Answer. They were praying for him. They also supported him financially. Uh, In Colossians 4 verse 3 says, um, Paul says, Pray for us that God may open for us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Now, we must not devalue and underestimate what prayer is. It is clearly the way in which power is given to those who are snatching people from the fire to do their job. The evangelist who is preaching needs the power of the Holy Spirit to be for, for the Holy Spirit to, to convince people, to draw them to Christ, to convince them of sin. Now praying which is maybe we may be hundreds of miles away from the person concerned doing it, but as we are praying, we are in a link with that person, and we are helping them to do their job. As Paul was praying, please give me prayer that God may open to us a door for the word. We're all involved in that task of. Uh, of um, snatching people from the fire when we pray, when we, when we come on Sundays to services even. Now, our Sunday evening services, let's put it um, sporadically attended compared to the Sunday morning services. And yet, what a difference it makes to unbelievers if actually uh, they come into a fuller church and have... Uh, and if there are many of them, many of non-believers uh, here, how you know there'll be more believers to actually talk to them too. Everybody needs to work together in this emergency services. Those who teach inspire evangelism as well as do it themselves. Those who pray 
especially those who are sick and ill or old and can't actually even get to church, they can be fully mobilized in emergency service praying. Those who are able to care and show practical love and show the love of Christ in action for the people that come in here that are, are desperate and lonely and, and in need. And we can show care to them in the name of Christ. All of it is part of this thing of snatching people from the fire. Actually, the, on Sunday evenings we have this chance to give testimonies. This is a testimony to the living God. And uh, both the, the practical things where God has helped us, which we, we mentioned tonight, but also occasionally it would be great if people actually during our sharing times gave their testimony. I mean, Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings when we have sharing times. If you yourself said, well, I, I don't normally have much to say, but I can give my testimony and just say, what happened to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? And if you gave your testimony every year, it would probably be a slightly different testimony. But we find loads and loads of people giving their testimonies, which are so helpful to those who are struggling with the problems you had that are sitting in the congregation. There are so many ways that we can contribute to snatching people from the fire. Now, the final thing I want to say is this. We are given a warning, and uh, I want to finish on. It says... uh, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, what does that mean? Well, first thing that we can say is, in the context of false teaching, we might say that Jude was saying this. Try and snatch people out of, out of, their, uh, out of their unbelief and their... The, the, the corruption of the false doctrine that has come to them but be careful that you, are not, you yourself are not corrupted by their false doctrine I mean we see this in, in, a, in established churches very large established churches um, that where false teachers come into these very large churches with hundreds and thousands of churches associated with them as these false teachers who deny the Bible who teach doctrines Practical doctrines that are against, completely against what the Bible says in terms of sexual morality, in terms of, in terms of other things in life. That actually, if you, one does not dissociate themselves from these false teachers, the false teaching gains currency and spreads. And you find many people who are Bible-believing Christians who have compromised themselves so often by simply being friendly with people who deny that Christ died for sinners who deny that Jesus was born of a virgin, deny that Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, they are prepared to be on committees and prepared to to smile or even have communion with people that deny the Lord that that saved his church. And so we are to have the fear of God and the awareness that God expects us when, uh, when conducting our lives, when seeking to do evangelism, we need ourselves not to be corrupted by false doctrine. But also in the context of what Jude is talking about, he, 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 he probably is talking about falling into sexual temptation when evangelizing. Um, it's connected to the false doctrine, because I've said already, Jude is condemning this false teaching that said, it doesn't matter what you do in the body, you can still go to heaven, uh, because you've received 
grace or Christ or something that they'll be talking about, even though Jesus Christ expects people to live a holy life. So the thing is that there is a warning here that we must never, never allow ourselves because of our sense of mercy and kindness to be drawn into that which is unholy. How can it happen? Well, it can happen quite easily, actually. It may be that there's, uh, there's uh, someone that you know uh, or someone you meet on the door-to-door work, member of the opposite sex, and they seem to be really interested in Christianity, and you think, oh, yeah, I may be, I'm the only one that can actually talk to them. They only know me. They won't come to church. You go to see that person alone, one thing happens after another, and bang, you've lost your credibility. You've sinned. You're unholy. It happens more than people realize in the church. Now, what we are told in this, in this verse is, save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by, by the flesh. Now, a garment stained by the flesh was a proverbial phrase, I believe, meaning avoiding the most remote contact with sin. We are to avoid all contact with sin so it doesn't contaminate us. Now, let me put it like, let me put it like this. Um, imagine, well, I know a house in Sicily that's like this, and it's revolting, actually. Um, it's uh, not been lived in for ten years. And uh, there's a, a leak in the plumbing where there's water dripping into, the, into, into this front room. And you can actually see it from the street because they've got wooden, uh, wooden um, Venetian blinds and you can uh, stare in there. And I, uh, once going by, I thought, well, let me look in and see what it's like in there. I knew, anyone, I knew no one had lived there for, for 10 years. And I looked inside and it was horrific. The whole place was covered in slime. I could smell quite a lot just through this thing. And cockroaches everywhere. Now, really horrible. Now, just imagine that this place had a nappy bin full of babies' poo that had been left there, rotting for, for so long, covered in slime. There's still loads, of, loads of, uh, of water coming down, drip, drip, drip. So it's remaining potent, a potent stew of stench and horror. Now, imagine that someone said to you, hey, I've got a new T-shirt for you. And they go in there and they... They actually, using, of course, gloves, they swill the T-shirt around in that filthy, stenching, horrible, smelly, atrocious mess and gave it to you. So put it on. We would wretch. We would wretch. Now, that is, that is actually, uh, if you go into the Greek of this, that is actually what, uh, what, what Jude is talking about. He's talking actually about soiled, disgusting garments. And we are uh, to hate, to detest, to be revolted by a garment stained by the flesh. Now here is the problem for those of us who are believers. Often we are not like that. I have to say it in my own life. A sense of the unholiness of sin and the revulsion and horribleness of it actually has been dulled by the society we live in. The TV, newspapers... Everything, people's attitudes. We go to work, we go to the pub, and people are talking, talking, talking. And we are ourselves often covered in this stench, and we, we've lost our sense of smell. 
We're like that person, and there used to be a, an old-fashioned uh, advert on the TV uh, 40, 50 years ago, uh, where uh, someone would come into the room, and uh, uh, as they were going there, everybody was going like that, and then one, one person would, would whisper into another person's ear, B.O. Body odor. Now, the thing is this. The Bible tells us that if a Christian is stained by the flesh, he or she is in the most revolting state before God. God finds our lives disgusting. And James, Jude is saying that we, have, we are to show mercy and love, but we should not allow for any reason, uh, whether it be emotional or otherwise, that we should be drawn into a situation where we become unholy because then we are covered in revolting mess of sin in our lives. Christ died so that we might be clean. We're no longer in a position where we can snatch people from the fire, but rather, actually, if we ourselves get covered in contamination, we ourselves are actually helping, to, uh, helping, us, uh, helping other people also on their way to hell, encouraging them in their sins. Now, I just want to finish on this point. Uh, that the Bible tells us, of course, that Christ died for us. And he died that we might be totally purified from our sins. Paul says that we have this robe of righteousness that is given to us. This wonderful robe of righteousness. And Paul appears to be uh, anchoring his thought again in uh, something from the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah where the high priest who's in his what should be gorgeous robes is covered in filth. And we have this same expression about this man that he's snatched from the fire. He's, he's snatched from the fire. Because this man who was covered in filth before, and he's cleansed. He's given new robes. He's given a, a new turban. He's, he becomes a new priest, a new man, because of God's grace and love. Now that is what the Bible says for, for anybody here, whether you're not yet come to Christ, whether you're not a believer, online or in the, in the church, or whether perhaps you're a Christian who, for whatever reason, has been bathing in sewage before God. And the wonderful thing is this, is that through the cross of Christ, a wonderful deluge of healings and cleansing stream comes from him to us tonight to clean you, to forgive you, and give you a new life. So that instead of being in the robe of filth, in the garment stained by sin, you have a robe of righteousness that you can wear uh, tonight. Now may the Lord help us all to walk in the light as he is in the light. Fellowship with Jesus. His blood cleansing us from every sin. And may he help us to avoid, avoid sin like the plague as we live our lives. Uh, I'm just going to pray. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you so much that Christ died so that we could have a robe of righteousness. Oh, Lord, please help us to value this robe. Help us, Lord, to, to hate sin, to detest it. Lord, as you detest it. Help us, Lord, to live to your glory. And help us, Lord, to snatch others from the fire. Lord, 
Our heart goes out to the millions in London without Christ, without hope in the world. And Lord, we pray, have mercy in our generation. Indeed, help us, Lord, uh, to use all the means we can uh, to share Christ with our neighbours, with our family, with our friends, uh, with, Lord, the people around here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.